Letter thirteen of the Shirley Letters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Shirley Letters from California Mines in eighteen fifty one and fifty two by Dame Shirley, Louise Amelia Knapp Smith Clapp. Letter the thirteenth Sociability and Excitements of Mining Life. From our log cabin, Indian Bar, February twenty seventh, eighteen fifty two. You will find this missive, dear M, a journal rather than a letter, for the few insignificant events which have taken place since I last wrote to you will require but three lines apiece for their recital. But stop, when I say insignificant, I forget one all important misfortune which, for our sins, I suppose, has befallen us in the sudden departure of our sable Paganini. Yes, battle Ned to the valley hath gone, in a Marysville kitchen you'll find him, two rusty pistols he girded on, and his violin hung behind him. His fiddle is heard no more on all the bar, and silence reigns through the calico halls of the Humboldt, his bland smile and his dainty plaits, his inimitably choice language and his pet tambourine, his woolly corkscrew and his really beautiful music, have, I fear, vanished for ever from the mountains. Just before he left he found a birthday which belonged to himself, and was observed all the morning thereof standing about in spots, a perfect picture of perplexity painted in burnt umber. Inquiry being made by sympathizing friends as to the cause of his distress, he answered that, having no fresh meat, he could not prepare a dinner for the log cabin worthy of the occasion. But no circumstance can put a man of genius entirely hors de combat, confine him in a dungeon, banish him to an uninhabited island, place him, solitary and alone, in a boundless desert, deprive him of all but life, and he will still achieve wonders with the iron hams the piscatory phenomenon referred to in my last and a can of really excellent oysters ned's birthday dinner was a chef d'oeuvre he accompanied it with a present of a bottle of very good champagne requesting us to drink it which we did not having the fear of temperance societies or main law liquor bills before our eyes in honour of his having dropped another year into the returnless past there has been a great excitement here on account of the fancied discovery of valuable quartz mines in the vicinity of the american rancho which is situated about twenty miles from this place half the people upon the river went out there for the purpose of prospecting and staking claims the quartz apparently paid admirably several companies were speedily formed and men sent to hamilton the county seat to record the various claims f himself went out there and remained several days now however the whole excitement has turned out to be a complete humbug the quicksilver which was procured at the rancho for the testing of the quartz the victims declare was salted and they accuse the rancheros of conniving at the fraud for the purpose of making money out of those who were compelled to lodge and board with them while prospecting the accused affirm that if there was any deception which however is beyond the shadow of a doubt they also were deceived and as they appear like honest men enough i am inclined to believe them just now there is new quartz mine excitement a man has engaged to lead a company to the golden and crystallized spot 
probably this also will prove, like the other, a mere yellow bubble, but even if as rich as he says, it will be of little value at present, on account of the want of suitable machinery, that now in use being so expensive, and wasting so much of the precious metal, that it leaves the miner but little profit. It is thought, however, by men of judgment, that in a few years, when the proper way of working them to advantage has been discovered, the quartz mines will be more profitable than any others in California. A few days ago we had another specimen of illegal, but in this case at least extremely equitable, justice. Five men left the river without paying their debts. A meeting of the miners was convened, and Yank, who possesses an iron frame, the perseverance of a bulldog, and a constitution which never knew fatigue, was appointed, with another person, to go in search of the culprits and bring them back to Indian Bar. He found them a few miles from this place, and returned with them in triumph, and alone, his friend having been compelled to remain behind on account of excessive fatigue. The self-constituted court, after a fair trial, obliged the five men to settle all liabilities before they again left the river. Last week the Frenchmen on the river celebrated the Revolution of February, 1848. What kind of a time they had during the day, I know not, but in the evening, apropos part of them reside at Missouri Bar, they formed a torchlight procession and marched to Rich Bar, which, by the way, takes airs upon itself, and considers itself a town. They made quite a picturesque appearance as they wound up the hill, each one carrying a tiny pine-tree, the top of which was encircled with a diadem of flame, beautifully lighting up the darker verdure beneath, and gleaming like a spectral crown through the moonless, misty evening. We could not help laughing at their watchwords. They ran in this wise, George Washington, James K. Polk, Napoleon Bonaparte, Liberté, Égalité, Fraternité, Andrew Jackson, President Fillmore, and Lafayette, I give them to you word for word, as I took them down at the time. Since the bridges have been swept away, I have been to Rich Bar but once. It is necessary to go over the hill now, and the walk is a very wearisome one. It is much more pleasant to live on the hills than on the bar, and during our walk we passed two or three cosy little cabins, nestling in broad patches of sunlight, and surrounded with ample space for a promenade, which made me quite envious. Unfortunately, F.'s profession renders it desirable that he should reside where the largest number of people congregate, and then the ascent to the habitable portion of the hill is as steep as any part of that leading into Rich Bar, and it would be impossible for him to walk up and down it several times a day, a task which he would be compelled to perform if we resided there. For that reason I make myself as happy as possible where I am. I have been invited to dine at the best-built log cabin on the river. It is situated on the hill of which I have just been writing, and is owned by five or six intelligent, hard-working, sturdy young men. Of course it has no floor, but it boasts a perfect marvel of a fireplace. They never pretend to split the wood for it, but merely fall a giant fir-tree, strip it of its branches, and cut it into pieces the length of the aforesaid wonder. The cabin is lighted in a manner truly ingenious. Three feet in length of a log on one side of the room is removed, and glass jars inserted in its place, the space around the necks of said jars being filled with clay. This novel idea is really an excellent substitute for window-glass. You will perhaps wonder where they procure enough of the material for such a purpose. They are brought here in enormous quantities, containing brandied fruits, for there is no possible luxury connected with drinking, which is procurable in California, that cannot be found in the mines, and the very men who fancy it a piece of wicked extravagance to buy bread, 
because they can save a few dimes by making it themselves, are often those who think nothing of spending from fifteen to twenty dollars a night in the bar-rooms. There is at this moment a perfect pelion upon osa-like pile of beautiful glass jars, porter, ale, champagne and claret-bottles, lying in front of my window. The latter are a very convenient article for the manufacture of the most enchantingly primitive lanterns. Any one in want of a utensil of this kind has but to step to his cabin-door, take up a claret or champagne-bottle, and dropping into the neck thereof, through the opening thus made, a candle, to have a most excellent lantern and the beauty of it is that, every time you wish to use such a thing, you can have a new one. But to return to my description of this cabin, it consists of one very large room, in the back part of which are neatly stored several hundred sacks of flour, a large quantity of potatoes, sundry kegs of butter, and plenty of hams and mackerel. The furniture consists of substantial wooden stools, and in these I observed that our friends followed the fashion, no two of them being made alike. Some stood proudly forth in all the grandeur of four-legs, others affected the classic grace of the ancient tripod, while a few shrank bashfully into corners on one stubbed stump. Some round, some square, and some triangular in form. Several were so high that, when enthroned upon them, the ends of my toes just touched the ground, and others were so low that, on rising, I carried away a large portion of the soil on my unfortunate skirts. Their bunks, as they call them, were arranged in two rows along one side of the cabin, each neatly covered with a dark blue or red blanket. A handsome oilcloth was spread upon the table, and the service consisted of tin plates, a pretty set of stone china cups and saucers, and some good knives and forks, which looked almost as bright as if they had just come from the cutler's. For dinner we had boiled beef and ham, broiled mackerel, potatoes, splendid new bread made by one of the gentlemen of the house, coffee, milk, Mr. B. has bought a cow, and now and then we get a wee drop of milk, and the most delicious Indian meal, parched, that I ever tasted. I have been very particular in describing this cabin, for it is the best-built, and by far the best-appointed one, upon the river. I have said nothing about candlesticks as yet. I must confess that in them the spice of life is carried almost too far. One gets satiated with their wonderful variety. I will mention but two or three of these makeshifts. Bottles— without the bottoms knocked off, are general favourites. Many, however, exhibit an insane admiration for match-boxes, which, considering that they will keep falling all the time, and leaving the entire house in darkness, and scattering spermaceti in every direction, is rather an inconvenient taste. Some fancy blocks of wood with an ornamental balustrade of three nails, and I have seen praiseworthy candles making desperate efforts to stand straight in tumblers, many of our friends with a beautiful and sublime faith in spermaceti and good luck eschew everything of the kind and you will often find their tables picturesquely covered with splashes of the former article elegantly ornamented with little strips of black wick the sad forebodings mentioned in a former letter have come to pass for some weeks with the exception of two or three families every one upon the river has been out of butter onions and potatoes our kind friends upon the hill, who have a little remaining, sent me a few pounds of the former the other day. Ham, mackerel, and bread, with occasionally a treat of the precious butter, have been literally our only food for a long time. The rancheros have not driven in any beef for several weeks, and although it is so pleasant on the bars, the cold on the mountains still continues so intense that the trail remains impassable to mules. The weather here for the past five weeks has been like the Indian summer at home. 
Nearly every day I take a walk up onto the hill back of our cabin. Nobody lives there, it is so very steep. I have a cosy little seat in the fragrant bosom of some evergreen shrubs, where often I remain for hours. It is almost like death to mount to my favorite spot, the path is so steep and stony. But it is new life, when I arrive there, to sit in the shadow of the pines and listen to the plaintive wail of the wind as it surges through their musical leaves, and to gaze down upon the tented bar lying in sombre gloom, for as yet the sun does not shine upon it, and the foam-flaked river, and around at the awful mountains splashed here and there with broad patches of snow, or reverently upward into the stainless blue of our unmatchable sky." This letter is much longer than I thought it would be when I commenced it, and I believe that I have been as minutely particular as even you can desire. I have mentioned everything that has happened since I last wrote. Oh, I was very near forgetting a present of two ring-doves, alas, they had been shot, and a blue-jay which I received yesterday. We had them roasted for dinner last evening. The former were very beautiful, approaching in hue more nearly to a French grey than what is generally called a dun-colour, with a perfect ring of ivory encircling each pretty neck. The blue-jay was exactly like its namesake in the States. Good-bye, my dear M., and remember that the same sky, though not quite so beautiful a portion of it, which smiles upon me in sunny California, bends lovingly over you in cold, dreary, but in spite of its harsh airs, beloved New England. End of letter 13. Recorded by Rachel Ellen, June 4, 2008, near Yosemite, California.